0: You know, tonight I have the great privilege of
1: introducing a, a man who has become, over the past several months, he's become a dear friend. He's become a dear friend. Uh, we have a, we're like kind of kindred spirits, right? He's a farm boy. I'm a city boy. <laughs> who thinks? Who would have thought? But Alex McFarland has a pretty, pretty impressive resume, right? Very impressive. Um, as a Christian apologist, as an author, as an evangelist, as an analyst on religion and culture and how it's affecting the nation, and as an advocate for biblical truth. Alex McFarland speaks worldwide. And I hope you understand what a privilege it is for him to join us here tonight. He has preached in over 2,000 churches in North America, and numerous more internationally. He's a frequent spokesperson for Fox News. He's been interviewed by many other media outlets, Fox and Friends, Alan Combs, The Strategy Room, Billy Graham's Decision Radio, Focus on the Family, Family Radio. I had the opportunity to be interviewed by him on on both the Hamilton Corner on Family Radio and uh, and Truth and Light. Was it Truth and Light? Yeah, just recently on American Family Radio. He's often quoted in many news outlets. He's been interviewed by CBS, by Fox, by NBC, C-SPAN, you name it, Associated Press, etc. But above all those things, right? That's pretty impressive, right? But above all those things, the most impressive thing to me about Alex McFarland is his love for Jesus Christ and his love for the church. That's the impressive thing. And so tonight, it's my great honor, it's my privilege to introduce to you our keynote speaker uh, for this weekend, our dear brother, Alex McFarland. Will you give him a big hand and a big welcome to Orlando, Florida.
0: Oh, you're so kind. Hang on a second, Uh, and if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians, Uh, is that Old or New Testament? New Testament. Good answer, good answer. And then I'm going to get this thing hooked up, and we'll show a little bit of info on the screens, and I'm going to ask you to turn also to an Old Testament passage, the book of Esther, in the Old Testament. And while you turn there, I want to say that it is a great honor to be here. And um, how about that worship? Wasn't that beautiful? What? Oh, listen, I could hear your voices singing, how marvelous, how wonderful, and my soul will ever sing, how great is the Savior's love for us. That, that was just so beautiful. And um, while I'm waiting for my computer to wake up, Let me say this, it is really an honor to be here and I got saved when I was 21 years old and in the years that have gone by, the Lord's allowed me to speak in a lot of places and I've been with a lot of people that have organized events and Pastor Mark, and I know he's got a great team. Because, look, Super Bowls are won by teams. It's not just free agents. It's teams. And I know there have been a lot of people, uh, Mark and Barbara and Calvary, Tabernacle. But I want to say thank you. And my dear brother, and, and I know it's, it's the Lord. It's for his glory. And I know a lot of people deserve credit. But God put it on uh, y'all's heart. See, I met them. I was at an event in North Carolina called the cove and i'll be there this summer july 12th through 14th the billy graham training center and i was talking to barb uh and we were talking about something really spiritual we we're talking about marinara sauce weren't we uh because she was talking about um you know cooking italian food now see eating is one of my spiritual gifts it's one of the rare gifts not everybody gets it uh, but i eating is just my superpower um It's just the grace of God. I don't weigh 500 pounds. But I was hearing about Calvary Tabernacle and Orlando. And in my heart, I was praying. I was like, Lord, I would really like to go down there and speak and minister with those dear people. Lay it on their heart that we would do that. And God did. And it's a great honor to be here. Now, this morning at about 4.15 a.m., when my wife was taking me to the airport in North Carolina, that's where I live, It was 27 degrees. So to come down to Orlando, where it's summertime, and and listen, I got to tell you guys something. As, you know, the world is just going kind of crazy, I travel a lot pastor mentioned that I I do a lot of traveling. I want to tell you, you guys in Florida, you you got to hold it together because the rest of the country is depending on you. I mean, everywhere I go, I promise you, people are saying, oh my goodness, there's, there's crime and there's all these things. Uh, You know what? I'm going to move to Florida. They got it together down there. Seriously, I've heard that a hundred times. The two states, two states where everybody wants to go, Florida and Texas. So yeah, we're depending on you, because like, seriously, um, about a year ago, my wife and I had to move some stuff. Uh, We had the privilege, we looked after my mother, my mother passed and went to heaven, and then we looked after Angie's mom. My wife's mother lived with us for eight years, but a year ago in March, so it's just coming up on a year, my mother-in-law passed, and so we had to, um, you know, get rid of some of her stuff, and... Uh, I, so I went to rent a U-Haul van and move some old furniture and things. And uh, I mean, it was hard to do it. Do you know why? Because people are moving to Texas and Florida. Seriously. And they were like, um, you've got to book it weeks in advance to even get a U-Haul. But we're in wild times, uh, hence the need for what we're doing. And revival and standing firm, I love your theme, stand firm. What I want to do over the course of our weekend together, number one, first and foremost, I want to give honor and, play, uh, honor and praise to the Lord, to, to God. And anything I share, I, I want to be like John the Baptist. I must decrease. He must increase. But God is really good And I I know this for a fact, and I've been very privileged to meet a lot of people that God has blessed and God has used. And I want you to know this with all my heart, that God has things for you. No, No matter who you are, no matter what your age is, no matter what your journey has been, you know, joys and struggles and good and bad and mountaintops and maybe some deep, dark valleys. But God has things for you And those things can begin tonight, even right now. And number one, as the pastor alluded to, that you have a relationship with Christ. You know what, I'll tell you, I never dreamed, I never dreamed that I would be a Christian, much less a minister. I I was raised on a farm in North Carolina, and for 68 years, my family was in the egg business. We raised chickens. My grandfather started it. My dad worked in it. I worked in it. I just knew as a little bitty boy, I was like in second grade. I loved the farm. I would be a chicken farmer, just like my dad, you know? But here's the thing, a lot of things, and I could tell you a miraculous story of how God led my family. And we were in the late 1970s. I was just a little kid and the economy was bad. My mom and dad were about a million dollars in debt. Now, that would be a tragic thing now, but let me tell you, around 1980, you know, I I don't know how my dad didn't just want to jump off a bridge or something, but my mom and dad were always fighting, and my sister and I, I was pretty for sure that mom and dad were probably going to split up, right? And uh, I didn't know what was going on, but one day the bank came, uh men in cars came to evict us from our house and repossess the house. And I didn't know what was going on, but I looked out the window and my mom and dad were on the front porch talking to some guys in suits and my mom was crying. And I could hear my dad. My dad was a World War II vet, big muscular guy, but he looked beaten and he was like, please, please, I need some time. I need some more time. And I I my sister and I were like, oh, this is not good. I don't fully know what's going on here, but this is not good. So my dad went down the street to a neighbor, a, a, a man, Bill and Norma Goodwin. They're both in heaven now. Uh, but my dad said, can you front me some, some money for 30 days and I'll pay you back. Anyway, long story short, we didn't. Lose the house, but we had to sell all our furniture. Suddenly, we're sleeping on the floor of an empty house, and it was tough. But here's something that happened: my mom and dad, unbeknownst to my sister and me, my sister she got married and left. Mom and dad were watching uh, Charles Stanley on television, and and one day my parents came in and they said, and they were in their early 60s at this point, probably. But they said, "Um, we don't know what's going to happen. We might lose the farm. We might lose everything. But your mother and I have committed our life to Jesus Christ. And it's going to be okay. And we laid hands on the business's checkbook and and prayed. And now, by this point, I was 21 years old. I didn't know any of this. I didn't understand it. But I will tell you this. I saw a significant change in my mom and dad. And even though the money problems didn't eva- evaporate overnight, and the struggles, and we were working, even then, my my dad and I, and, uh, truck drivers, we were delivering eggs to restaurants and grocery stores. We were probably working 80 hours a week. Plus, I was trying to go to school. But I saw a change, and my mom and dad didn't fight like they did before, and they had joy. And they, they would sit around, and they got this old hymn book. And just like we were doing tonight, we would sing songs of praise to God. I wasn't even a believer yet. But listen to this. In talking about revival in our nation, Psalm 22, verse 3 says, God inhabits the praise of his people. Now, we want revival. The word revival is a combination of two Latin words. It means life again. Revival means a return to the things that bring life. And you know what? Even as a Christian, maybe you've trusted Christ. You've put your faith in Jesus. You're a born-again believer. Praise God. But you know what? Life can distract you. Life can wear you down. And we all need to come back to the well of cool water, the water of life, and, and get life again. And one of the great catalysts to restart our spiritual batteries is gratitude so let me let me ask you this because we want and we need the presence of the Lord in this place I, I admire Mark working on this everybody's worked so hard and uh, let me tell you I'm in a lot of events how about it for these world-class sound guys the audio video. Uh, Listen, these wires don't plug themselves in. There's great audio here tonight because of some very gifted people at the back of the room. And one more thing, and then I'm going to ask you to participate. And Lord knows my heart, I'm as sincere as I can be. Um, How about some glory to God and some prayer support and appreciation for our dear friend in law enforcement back there for keeping us safe. Godspeed. Thank God. According to Romans 13, 1 through 7, you're a minister of God, Mr. Peacekeeper, and we thank the Lord for you. But God, when, when the church praises God, things change. When Israel was called to go face Jericho, and so many of the battles and the challenges faced by the children of Israel, they would praise God. So I want to ask you this, and I'm going to tell you a little story about praise what are you thankful for tonight? If this were your last opportunity to give big time props to Jesus, glory to God, what, what are you thankful for? My salvation. salvation. Yes. Um, his word. We, we have the word of God, not the opinion of man, but we have the word of God. What else are you thankful for? The Holy Spirit of God. Why are you thankful for the Holy Spirit? He seals us. He he leads us. He teaches us. It was the Spirit of God that opened our eyes and made us aware that we needed the Lord, right? What else are you thankful for? Let's, Let's praise the true and living God tonight. What are you thankful for? Jesus. Somebody raise your hand and tell me what you're thankful for. Yes, ma'am. I'm glad I'm saved. Yes, ma'am. Thankful. Amen. Yes, sir. Way back there. For, For the fellowship tonight. What else are you thankful for? Freedom. Salvation. You know what? How many have ever... Uh in a split second, God saved your life. You could have died and God saved you. Amen. Anybody want to share what that was like? I was driving one night and uh, was sleepy. And I almost ran under an 18-wheeler. I was very bad. Don't ever do this. But I was driving at 3 a.m. I should have pulled over. I was trying to make it to an airport. And I was halfway asleep, driving, and it was like God shouted, and I woke up. And instantly, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Listen, I think we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to find out a thousand things God did on our behalf that in the invisible realm, and even tonight, think about this. All right, you're, you're not here by accident. There's not a one of you that's here by happenstance. Uh, God made you, gave you life. God, by His Spirit, drew you to know about Jesus and open your heart to Jesus. And then you begin to grow and you're a part of a church and whether it be Calvary or whatever, and you're here tonight and over this weekend, we're all going to worship together and grow together. And so your life has great significance. I mean, that's part of revival to realize that we're not, it's like, you, you, you live, you die. No, no, it's so much more than that because the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Brothers and sisters, family of God, we have this little bitty window of, of life. Might be 70 years. Might be 90 years. Some people don't live to see 30 or 40. But in this life, We are doing things that matter for eternity. Honestly, specific prayers get specific answers. Your prayers for an unsaved person. Your prayers for this nation. Your witness that you exude. You sowing the seed of God's word. Because Isaiah 55 says God's word does not return void. I mean, you sowing the seed. You Every day you wake up and you get out there you are doing things with eternal implications. Let, let me share a little bit. And what a, what a joy. I want to tell you, I feel a lot of freedom in this place. That's because the Lord is here. Hallelujah. Now, now, my dear dad, he's in heaven now. But um, he used to tell me this as I was traveling. And he would go with me in the, in the early days. He said, son, remember, the weakest ink is better than the strongest memory. So... Urge people to take notes. I said, yes, sir, I'll do that. He said, also, son, remember this. The mind can only absorb what the rear end can endure. My dad told me that. Because, you know, we preachers, we go long and everything. But, um, hey, I, I do want to ask for your prayers. We, we do a couple of things. We do a radio show called Exploring the Word. And it's heard on the American Family Radio Network. I give God the glory for that. And um, we're in our 14th year. And we get to uh, preach the word and promote things like this. Also, our ministry that God led me to start, I was a youth pastor for 11 years. And then 20 years ago, we started uh, a ministry. We do conferences. We've done university campuses and schools. And I give God the glory. But we have been in a little over 20 years in front of approximately a million young people. Uh, to tell them about God and country. We started these clubs called Viral Truth Clubs. And uh, these are clubs where, yes, it's all about the gospel, but it's all about America, too. We talk to kids about America and why this country is worth caring about and praying for. So I, I value your, your prayers. And as the weekend goes on, I'll tell you a little bit more about what we're doing But I want to share about one night when I was a youth pastor. Because here's the thing. When revival is happening and there's a move of God, there are a lot of dynamics. There are basically four things. When God is doing a work, obviously there's prayer. I mean, nothing happens unless the church prays. And it's been said that prayer is the nerve that moves the muscle of God. Now, I bet we could go around the room tonight by an upraised hand. How many know that prayer is powerful? How many have gotten radically answered prayers? I mean, listen, let me tell you this. When you really cry out to God with a heart of desperation, He will answer. He he really does. God will work. God will move. So tonight, let me ask you just ponder this. If you, if you could solicit one thing from our dear Savior, what would you ask Him for? Maybe it would be the conversion of a loved one. Maybe somebody that you care deeply for is far away from God. And you're, tonight, it's, it's no games, no procrastination. Dear Jesus, Lord, I'm begging you. I want this person to know you. Maybe it's our country. and our, I, Look, I love America. I know my home is in heaven. I had a pastor. We were at the Cove with Barbara and Mark, the, the big conference center, the, the summer that we talked. You and I, but a, a, a pastor came up and he goes, Alex, why all this talk about saving America? Our home is in heaven. I'm not trying to save America. I'm trying to get people to go to heaven. I said, well, yeah, I know. My home is in heaven. But where are you going to live till you get there? I I mean, don't we have a vested interest in this nation being godly? Maybe tonight God is calling you to pray for our country. But whatever is the desperate, agonized, passionate cry of your heart, bring that to the Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. Listen to this. When there's revival the atmosphere in the room changes. I was a youth pastor for 11 years, and we would do a mission trip every summer, and I had about 45 teenagers, and it was just a good little average youth group, and they were good kids, and we we went down to Memphis, Tennessee to do inner-city missions, and we would do mission projects. And then for my youth that were the best of the best... At the end of the summer, we would go down to the beach, and we would raise money, and we would have a beach retreat just before school started, and that was always really special. Well, one summer, listen to this, we had Vacation Bible School, VBS, right? And there was uh, near our church a trailer park, and it was, it was pretty rough, and there was a lot of drugs and violence. Well, we decided to go to the trailer park and try to get some of those kids to come to Vacation Bible School. I'll never forget. There were these three, a brother, sister, and a brother. Carl, Patrick, and Brandy were their names, for real. And I I went. There was this trailer. There's a screen door with no screen in it. It's just this door frame banging in the wind. And a woman, it was like mid-afternoon. The mom comes out drinking a beer, smoking a cigarette. And I said, can... Can your kids come to Bible school? She's like, I don't care. It'll get them out of my hair for a few hours. And, and so we begin to take the kids to Bible school. Well, all three of these kids accepted Christ. And I mean, it was real. The oldest uh, who was going to be a senior in high school. And then the uh, younger uh, brother that was about like in ninth grade. And then the little sister that was in about in sixth or seventh grade, they all three, they understood the gospel and they put their faith in Jesus. It was very special, very sweet. So I said to my adult leaders, I said, look, Carl Patrick and Brandy are brand new to the group. And I realize they've not, you know, been through all the new members. But can they come on the beach retreat? I, and, and they said, yeah, and I said to my teenagers, I said, I know the retreat is for all of y'all that work and you've, you've worked hard and these kids are brand new, but they've probably never had anything like this. And they hadn't. They'd never been to the beach. And um, I said, uh, I want to bring them, but I want you to love them. And I want these kids from the trailer park to just get all the love and acceptance as if they were family. And my youth said, absolutely. So... I went, and the mom and dad said, hey, take them. Anyway, well, the dad was in jail, and uh, that's another story. But anyway, it was about the second day, and here's my thing about God being in the room, because God is in this room. So we would play. We went to the beach. We, we had devotions in the morning, and then at night we would like, Uh, cook a hamburger, and at 7 o'clock have Bible study. Now, my kids were pretty good kids, right? But, you know, with teenagers, about 35, 45 minutes, you got their attention. Now, listen to this. We started on day two, and I was like, well, have you had a good day? And uh, my adults are there. We got about 30 kids in the room, got about 10 adults, and I said, so let me share a Bible story. And suddenly the oldest, uh, Carl, he said, uh, Mr. McFarlane, Mr. McFarlane. And I said, uh, yeah. He goes, can I say something? And I said, sure. And, and he goes, he goes um, and he began to try to thank us. And he said, look. Uh, a week ago, we didn't even know who Jesus was. And y'all invited us to Bible school. And all three, me and my brother and sister, we prayed that prayer and accepted Christ. And something's different. But then then you brought us on this trip. And you fed us. And we have played volleyball and swam in the ocean. We'd never seen the ocean. And we just... And all of a sudden, this big old guy heading into 12th grade, he began to cry and he began to weep. And he began to say, God is so good to us. God is so good to us. And you could hear a pin drop. Now listen to this. Something, as we praised God, something in the room changed. Now hang on. This is like 7.15 p.m. And I I didn't know what to do. And I kind of said... Um, God is good and y'all are giving gratitude to God. So who else has something thankful? And we begin to go around and one of my adult leaders begin to say, you know what, I'm thankful for this chance to work with these youth. And we begin to praise God and praise God. Then we begin to confess sin. And some of my youth that were like some of the kids of the deacons and leaders, begin to confess sin. There was weeping, and we would praise God. And, and, all right, folks, listen. I looked up, and I'm kind of trying to sense, and I think by the time we finished, all 30 of my teenagers and my adults, everybody had prayed, praised, and, and there was a lull, and I just said, well, let's sing Amazing Grace. And I looked up, it was 20 till 1 a.m. Five hours had gone by. Now to this day, and this is 30 years ago, I was at a hardware store like last fall and I saw one of my youth, now grown up with kids. And they said, Mr. McFarland, do you remember that night? I said, yeah, I remember that night. See, when God comes in, I think it's almost like, Time gets pushed aside and you're in the presence of eternity. And we need that, folks. The the key to a move of God in the culture must begin with a move of God in the church. And a move of God in the church begins with gratitude and adoration of the Savior who gave his life for us. And then... Confession of sin and forsaking sin. Because we think about what it took for sin to be eradicated or addressed. God Almighty took on a human body. That's Jesus. And the appropriate measure of wrath that we deserved was put on Jesus. He suffered and died. Now look if you would at Ephesians 6.13. You know, Paul has said a lot of things in here uh, about, um, in, in Ephesians, serving the Lord, walking in love, doing it sincerely, and whatever we do, do it as under Christ. Now look at verse, let's start at verse 11 for a second. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil or the schemes of the devil. See, Satan is real. Uh, he is a loser, he's defeated, Christ is victorious. But Satan has two plans, plan A and plan B. Plan A, that you live and die without having accepted Christ. You say, but I'm a Christian. Well, Satan will revert to plan B, and he'll try to discourage you, distract you, lure you away, tempt you. Now, let me just say this right now. You can be a, a good person. You can be a moral person. You can be a religious person. But you must, if you would go to heaven when you leave this world, as we all will, we all will leave this world one day, to go to heaven, you must be a born-again person. And that's what Jesus said in John 3, that if a person is to see and be in the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now, how do you do that? You are saved, made alive washed clean, redeemed, born again by putting your faith in Jesus. The way that you do that is you accept who He is, who He claimed to be, God incarnate, the Son of God. And then you accept what He did. What did He do? He was nailed to the cross. And our guilt was put on Jesus. He suffered for the whole wide world. And then you you have to put your the, the word means faith or trust or belief. It's the same Greek word. But you're not trusting your church membership. Church membership is a fine thing. I recommend it. But you don't stand before God and say, God, I should go to heaven because I was a member of a church or a member of a denomination, as, as fine as that is. No, all that we can do to be made right in the sight of God, it's not an effort or a work on our part, but we're trusting completely who He was and what He did. Who is He? The Son of God. What did He do? He paid our debt. And then we ask, and this is such a beautiful thing, folks, and I know in a room of this many people, I'm not going to take it for granted that you all have done this. I hope you have, but you must ask Jesus the Bible says in Romans ten thirteen, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For me, it was at age 21. I said, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner and I believe you are the son of God. And Lord, I believe. And I, listen, I was sitting in a college classroom. I've been wrestling with this for several weeks, going to a Bible study, hearing the gospel, trying to connect the dots I'm sitting in a college classroom in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I thought, God, I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he rose from the dead. Lord, I believe you died on the cross for the sins of the world. And Lord, I believe you died for me. And I'm sitting in a college classroom trying not to weep because it suddenly clicked. When Jesus went to that cross, he did it for Alex McFarland. And it was like suddenly the world stopped. I remember it vividly. And I thought, Jesus died for me. He did that for me. And, and in my heart I was like, Lord, I believe. I believe you. So tonight, John, listen, John 637 in the New Testament. Jesus said, the one who comes to me, I will in no way reject. Now, you might have been rejected for a lot of things. Maybe growing up in school, you were not really with the in group. You felt rejection. Maybe you got turned down for a loan. Your credit application got rejected. But I'm going to tell you, you come to Jesus, the Son of God, And tonight, I want to challenge you. Maybe someone is in here and this is no accident. You're here and and it's not worry and wonder and boy, I hope if I die, boy, I hope I was ready. No, make sure tonight in your heart, call out to Jesus. He has promised to answer this prayer with an affirmative, with a yes. If you say, dear Lord Jesus, please save my soul. Now, this is not religion, it's a relationship. And so you've got to do that. God can't really work and use you unless you know him. Now, Paul says in Ephesians 6, 11, put on the armor of God, verse 12, because look, this battle is not physical or intellectual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and spiritual wickedness. Now look at verse 13, and this is what I really want to camp out on. So in light of all this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. Some people are failing at the Christian life because they're not yet a Christian. But, by the way, after I accepted Christ, uh, I found out Christianity goes so much better when you're a Christian, <laughs> so, uh, you know, suddenly I loved going to church. It wasn't boring. I was beginning to understand what the preacher was preaching about. I was reading the Bible and I, I started at the beginning and the guy in the Bible study I was going to, he said, why don't you try the gospel of John? That's in the New Testament. And he said, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, do you know what that is? I said, not really, what? He said, well, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, they're like biographies of Jesus. And they tell about who Jesus was and what he did. Why don't you read John? Uh, If you read about 15 minutes a day, you'll read it in a little over a week. And the Gospel of John, it came alive to me. And uh, so much I could say about that, and tomorrow I'm going to elaborate on this. But look, the whole armor of God, verse thirteen. The word armor there means like protection, or it means your your tools that you have. What do you as a Christian have? What are some of your armaments to face each day, to thrive as a believer, to do things that count for eternity? to be protected from the world, the flesh, the devil. What what are some of the elements of your protective gear? Your armor as a Christian? Anybody want to say? Yes, sir. Faith. Faith. Right on. Trusting God. What what else? What other armor do you have? Uh, you got the Bible? Yeah. And what did you say, ma'am? the helmet of salvation. That's right. What else? The sword of the Spirit. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Now do you see there there is this imagery like if you got a head wound that could be fatal but you are protected you're alive by the 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 truth of salvation. If you got a chest wound uh, if you had a a chest wound, punctured lung, or worse yet, a wound to your heart, you're dead. But you've got the breastplate of righteousness. One of the great realities, and oh my goodness, I wish I had time to unpack this, but when you become a believer, I ask people, what happens when you get saved? Well, your sins are washed away. That's true. That's true. But do you know what? And this is so unique. Oh my goodness, this is unique. When you put your faith in Jesus... Listen, you get credited with righteousness. Now you say, now what does that mean? All right, now listen to this. I was in a jail. Hey, bud, am I doing okay? Are we good? Are we good on time? Praise the Lord. All right, listen to this. I was a young Christian. I was preaching in a jail in Virginia, right? And I was going down the hallway, and a young man threw the bars. He said, preacher... How good do you have to be to go to heaven? And in my mind, and do this when you're ministering to people, I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, give me wisdom. Because remember, James 1, 5, here's a great promise for you. James 1, verse 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask God who gives abundantly and does not withhold. Praise the Lord. I mean, you ask God for wisdom. So I'm talking to this young man. I said, Lord, give me wisdom. Help me reach this young man. He says, preacher, how good do you have to be to go to heaven when you die? I said, "Um, according to the Bible, if you want to go to heaven, not hell. Yeah. I said, you have to be righteous. He said, what does that mean? I said, it means that you've got to be as holy as God. My daddy's cash register. I mean, I'm very ashamed of that. I told him, I confessed it. But here's the thing. In one way or another, you and I have done things that are unrighteous. And yet God says to go to heaven, you have to be righteous. And here's, get this, you can't buy it, you can't work for it. So if righteousness is the standard and I'm unrighteous, what do I do, right? Well, the, this is so unique, folks. I can tell you there are thousands of religious systems. This is utterly, absolutely unique. According to Romans chapter 4, it says, if you put your faith in Jesus, who he was and what he did, the Son of God gave his life on the cross, you call out to him, And he will hear you and forgive you. Yes, your sins are washed away. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you. Ephesians 4.30 says the Holy Spirit seals you, yea. But this is so awesome. The righteousness of God is accredited to you. The standard for heaven that we don't have and we can't really earn it but God says, if you will trust my son, I will make a legal declaration in the, the council of heaven. I will declare you righteous. And for the rest of your life, 1 John talks about positionally we are in Christ. That's why, listen, God doesn't see you as a sinner ever again. He sees you as righteous. Let me give an illustration about salvation, right? Because I've had people ask me this question, Pastor Mark. They'll say, you know, I got saved years ago, but uh, I kind of backslid, I fell away. Does God still love me? Here's the thing, and I, I really do think the greatest incentive to stay on point for God, to stay where you need to be, to be excited, to be revived. The greatest motivator is gratitude. Because listen to this. Let, let's say you you accept Christ at 20 years old. And you live many years and it's decades and decades and decades before you die and go to heaven. All right. Right? It's almost like a real estate transaction. And And my point in sharing this is God is not going to abandon you or betray you or leave you. All right. Let's say you're going to buy a house. There's a house. You're going to buy it. You put what's called a down payment, and it's, it's earnest money. Now, the closing date where you take full possession might be 30 days or 60 days. If you've ever bought a house, they'll say, okay, here, here's the price. Here's the earnest money. And, and the closing date is such and such. Now, here's the deal. You're not going to walk away. Because you're under contract. There's legal binding that you're going to be at that closing day. Plus, if you abandon the transaction, you would lose your earnest money. The Bible says that for a born-again believer, there's one day going to be a, a, a day that you get a glorified body. You're in the presence of Jesus forever. And your faith, will be sight. We will see Jesus face to face. Listen, God is not going to bail out on you because he will not betray his word. He does not break his promises. Inside of you, dear believer, is the Holy Spirit uh, sealing you, the earnest of your salvation, plus the righteousness of Christ that was uh, at great cost Calvary's crucifixion made it possible for you to be washed clean, wrapped in righteousness, indwell and sealed. That's why Romans 5 one says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, uh, only Christianity has all of these unique promises. Only Christianity has an infallible Bible that fulfills prophecy, and then only Christianity has an empty tomb. So look, what, what are we going to do about all these things? I want to talk about your role as I begin to wrap up. And look, there's just 10,000 things I feel like I could and would want to say. Our nation is dying. They say there are 345,000 churches in America. And yet... Christianity seems to be declining. There there are a lot of young people here tonight, young adults. I thank God for that. That's a thrill. Praise the Lord that there are a lot of young people here today. Uh, you know this. Drug deaths are up. Violence is up. The breakdown of the family is, is such a challenge. I, I speak all over America, and I've been on committees and panels and Alex, what can young people do? Listen, uh, I know Jesus can, with a snap of his fingers, change this nation. But and, and I'm praying for that. But you and I have got to be in this for the long haul, okay? Now hang on here, but because I've got four thoughts, and it'll go quickly. But first I want to tell you something about God's, Side of the ledger and our own. Um, In in the early church, you know, the Roman Empire was very violent, and there were the gladiator games, and people would get out there in the Roman Colosseum and fight to the death, blood sport they called it, right? And Christians were persecuted. Rome had a lot of paganism. There were a lot of uh, religions. Some were very you know dark occult religions, and uh, there were sacrifices. And here comes Christianity saying, love your neighbor. And you, you don't have to engage in all these religious rituals. Jesus paid it on the cross. Christianity was exploding, right? And Christians were a threat to the existing social order of Rome. And they got persecuted. You know, there were some Roman villages where a mile outside of the village, they would behead a Christian, put their head on a post... And so people coming in, it was like they knew these were the, the bodies and the heads of dead Christians. So it's like, uh, don't bring your Christianity here unless you want to wind up like that, right? And Christians were thrown to the lions. So if you ask most believers, how did in roughly 100 to 125 years, how did the early church turn Rome upside down? Now listen to this. The good evangelical Christian answer is, well, because Christianity is true and the tomb is empty. Yay! Now that is true. I interviewed a twice Pulitzer-nominated historian, Rodney Stark. He just passed away about a year ago in August. And he was a born-again Christian, renowned, renowned scholar. And he wrote about how the church turned Rome upside down. Because you remember, Jesus rose, Peter preached at Pentecost, 3,000 were saved in one day there in Jerusalem. But, you know, the church, they didn't have a lot of social clout at that point. The church was a small group. Uh, they didn't, didn't have printing presses. Anyway, uh, Rome was pretty merciless in trying to stamp out the church. And yet... By the time the New Testament was finished, the New Testament was finished, the book of Revelation, about 96 AD, the first complete New Testament, just like you and I have it, Matthew through Revelation, was about 30 years later, around 125 AD, that it was being circulated. By 150, the church was well on the way to changing the Roman Empire. And about 200 to 250 A.D., it was a done deal. Now, that might sound like a long time, but really, given that culture, it it happened somewhat quickly. And then by 323, uh, under 300 years after the life of Jesus, Christianity was really impacting the entire world. How did it happen? Now, listen to this, and I'm going to wrap up in just a moment. Most Christians would say, well, uh, people were proclaiming the gospel, and that's true. And Christians were willing to lay down their life and die because the tomb was empty. And that is true. But according to some historians like Will Durant and Arnold Toynbee and Rodney Stark and the late D. James Kennedy, I don't know if you know those names, but these are good guys, The church changed their culture because of their life. They built families. Husbands were true to their wives and didn't go to the brothel. Kids learned a work ethic. Suddenly, all the business owners, they wanted to hire Christian young people because they didn't steal and they would give you a full day's work. And then... Uh, There was a lot of infanticide. Families wanted a, a baby boy, not a daughter. Little infant girls were thrown in the woods to die in Rome. But Christians would go out at night and listen and adopt. Sometimes families had 18 children. And why? Why this ethic of life? Because you're made in God's image. And Matthew 25 says, When I'm honoring you, I'm honoring the one whose image you bear. And I'll never get, forget my last phone call with Dr. Rodney Stark, just a rock star of historians. He said, Alex, yes, the tomb is empty, and that's important, but Christianity turned Rome upside down because it was just a better way to live. Folks, we can do this. We can do, look, Hollywood can shout more loudly. The media has a bigger megaphone. The world has what it has. But we've got the the good news of Jesus. We've got the power of prayer. We've got the fellowship of the church. We've got the Holy Spirit that's working alongside with us. We've got what every human heart wants, which is love and relationship. People are so lonely. I just read about a month ago that loneliness is one of the biggest health crises of our time. And they said that loneliness will shorten your life like smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. Google that. That's Psychologists are saying that. And I, I'm finding young people that come to our camps. We'll have over 1,000 teenagers in camps. And, hey, I'm 59, and my staff and I, we got teenagers following after us. Because they're lonely. They just want somebody to care about them. And so I don't underestimate the fact that we have a true message. And yes, Christ is risen and the world needs to know this. But church, we can be used by God to out think, out work, out love this world. And people will be touched. So what do we do? I want to tell you, God has a role for you. Number one, you can play a role in bringing about revival. Thank God for Pastor Mark and Barbara and his staff. But what about every one of you? Um, You can't do everything. God doesn't expect you to, but you can do what the Lord put you here to do. And that begins by trusting Christ and then saying, God, what is my assignment? Yes, you can play a role and secondly, know this, God designed you to play a role. It says, you will receive power. That's Acts 1.8. Do you know, look, God only has to say something once for it to be true, right? But 200 times in the New Testament, God's word says, I will empower you. I'll give you the ability to do what I need you to do. So you've got a role to play. God designed you to play a role. God will equip you to fulfill your role. I want to ask you, what is the assignment God has put before you? Because I I suspect you know. Pastor, I've come to believe the, the right thing to do is rarely a mystery. Some of you have areas of your life that you're disobeying God and you know it. Some of you have steps of trust and obedience God is calling you to take. And probably deep down you know what they are. Maybe it's trusting God in your finances and tithing. And maybe it's to uh, uh, enough procrastination, you need to be in church on Sunday. If you're a born again believer, you're supposed to be in church. Now, going to church is not what saves you. Trust in the Lord. But if you, hey, Hebrews ten twenty five, do not forsake assembling yourselves. Some of you have not obeyed God in the way that you're loving your family or, or leading your family. Men, uh, you are to be the role model. You, husbands, you are the priest of the home. And you need to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And he laid down his life. Are you praying? Are you being that witness? God will equip you to fulfill the role. And the final thing, you must play your role. Like Mordecai said to Esther in Esther 4.14, if you remain silent at this time, Esther... Enlargement and deliverance will arise to the Jews from some place, but you and your father's house will be destroyed. But who knows? Maybe you were put in the kingdom for just such a time as this. So what do we do? What do we do? A life that stands for this conference is about standing for... you got to know, do you have a personal relationship with Christ? Are you daily growing in Christ? And are you consistently living for Christ? See, just like an athlete needs nutrition, the Christian needs vitamin S, scripture. Or maybe I'll say vitamin B, Bible. So here's the thing, and I'm going to pray. Every day you pray. You pursue Christ, growing more like Jesus. You stay equipped. Then you recognize opportunities. And they're out there every day to be a witness. And then you influence others. And you live a life of truth promotion. First Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Paul says, we're not our own, we're bought with a price. There, there was a great evangelist in the 19th century, his name was Charles Finney. I'll say this and, and I'm going to conclude. Um, somebody asked Charles Finney, and he was hugely influential, my goodness. Somebody said, when are we going to have a move of God? He said, as soon as you want it. And they were like, what are you kidding? Of course we want souls to get saved, our kids to get right, our, our country. Uh, of course we want a revival. How dare you imply that we don't? And Finney said, well, revival will come the minute you want it. He said, well, we want it. He said, do you, really, do you want it badly enough to come to an altar and pray? Do you want it badly enough to get up before sunrise and, and meet with God before you rush into your day? Do you want it badly enough to search your heart and say, oh God, reveal anything displeasing and Spirit of the living God, help me turn and change. Uh, all those areas that I've been less than obedient, are you willing to... Pursue Jesus above anything. Finney said, and I think it's still true, revival will come the minute that you desire Jesus and his presence more than anything else. I want us to bow our heads and pray. My goodness, this is such an honor with with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Pastor Mark, I'm just so profoundly grateful that you would envision this. But with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one's looking around, but I want to pray for you. So I'm, I'm looking. But is there anyone here tonight, and you would say, Alex, God is speaking to me. I don't want to miss it. I want everything the Lord has for me. Alex, pray for me. If that is you, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Amen. Amen. How many say, Alex, I've got a need Please pray for me. There's something in my life. God knows what it is, but I need I need the Lord's help. Raise your hand. I want to pray for you. A few more people. How many people here would say, I've got someone I know, and they're not a Christian, and I'm praying for them to get saved? Raise your hand. I want Father in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, you know what's on every heart. Lord, we pray for the lost to be born again. We pray for all of our lives to be cleaned up, filled up, empowered, used up. And Lord, for all of these upraised hands. And Lord, of course, if there's anyone here and tonight they need to make sure they're a Christian. Pray they would come talk to the prayer team.